Shalom, everyone. This is Zion Hebraic Congregation with me, Luke Tanner. Today's Shabbat message is from John chapter 15, entitled Abide in Yeshua by my dad, Warren Tanner. Feel free to check us out on our website, zionhebraiccongregation.com. There are our uh, blog posts by my dad, as well as past Shabbat messages, as well as links to our social media accounts, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Enjoy. Mighty warriors arise, Freedom does lie on me away. The soon is the day when we see your face on the mount of your grace and zeal. All right, good morning. Let's turn, if you would, please, to John chapter 15. So I'll make my way through the Gospel of John. Incredible blessing, as all of the Bible is, but it's been an incredible blessing going through it again this time. I want to um, read this chapter and then just highlight some elements that are in it hope I can do justice to it. All right, so John chapter 15, verse 1. I am, Yeshua speaking, I am the true vine, and my father is a husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me, and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in a vine, no more can ye, except ye abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me ye can do nothing. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch, and is withered. And men gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. If ye abide in me, and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. Herein is my Father glorified, that ye bear much fruit. So shall ye be my disciples. As a father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Continue ye in my love. If ye keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. These things have I spoken unto you, that my joy might remain in you, and that your joy might be full. This is my commandment, that ye love one another, as I have loved you. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Ye are my friends, if ye do whatsoever I command you. Henceforth I call you not servants, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth. But I have called you friends. For all things that I have heard of my Father, I have made known unto you. Ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you, that ye should go and bring forth fruit, and that your fruit should remain, that whatsoever ye shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it you. These things I command you, that ye love one another. If the world hates you, ye know that it hated me before it hated you. 
If ye were of the world, the world would love his own. But because ye are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. Remember the word that I said unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord. If they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they have kept my saying, they will keep yours also. But all these things will they do unto you for my name's sake, because they know not him that sent me. If I had not come and spoken unto them, they had not had sin. But now they have no cloak for their sin. He that hateth me hateth my father also. If I had not done among them the works which none other man did, they had not had sin. But now have they both seen and hated both me and my father. But this cometh to pass, that the word might be fulfilled that is written in their law. They hated me without a cause. But when the Comforter is come, whom I will send unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth, which proceedeth from the Father, he shall testify of me. And ye also shall bear witness, because ye have been with me from the beginning. All right, let's pray. Father, just ask that you bless this time in your word. I ask, Father, that the Holy Spirit will just be able to make personal application into the hearts and lives of each one of us that are here in areas and in ways that you uh, know we need as individuals. And I believe that's the whole point of your word, to, to speak to us individually. It's your truth. Bring it home to our hearts. Change us. Bring us to be more like our Savior, Yeshua. In his name we pray. Amen. All right, so... Just kind of a, again, a sort of rough outline. Uh, I've broken it up this way. Blessing, uh, I'm sorry, cleansing, verses 1 through 3. Abiding, verses 4 through 11. Loving, verses 12 through 17. Hating, verses 18 through 25. Comforting, verse 26 through 27. So that's cleansing, 1 through 3, abiding, 4 through 11, loving, 12 through 17, hating, 18 through 25, comforting, 26 through 27. I have to do that for myself. Not that it's a great outline, uh, not that it's something you need to even follow, but I have to do this for me. I have to get continuity, as I've told you several times. So once I've gone through a, a passage like this one, probably this whole week, couldn't tell you why again, just it grabs me for some reason, and I stay in it. And then after several days of just trying to get the flow of what's being talked about, I, I, I need to kind of structural, give it some structure. So I, I try to go through and see how I can break it down. And then because I like whatever this is called with the ING endings or whatever, you know, alliteration, I guess, I like that. So I try to do that. But all of that to help me narrow my focus into, into what I'm reading and where I'm going. I find it helpful. I don't do it for every chapter I read, obviously. Sometimes I'll do it just on my own, for my own sake, when I'm not going to preach. But this week, I, I wanted to speak on this chapter, so that's, that's what I did. So, you know, when I come, I don't know where, where, where you come from theologically, as far as your background, everybody here. Um, this chapter... The great blessing that it is has been fraught with theological landmines. Um, and it has to do primarily with the first three verses. 
you know, some teach from this passage that you can lose your salvation. Others teach that, no, that's not what this is teaching, that a person can lose their salvation. I'm not here to settle this debate. There's good people on both sides. I don't understand the other side, but I'm not here to settle that debate. Can a person lose their salvation, what, if that's the right terminology? Or is it once saved, always saved? <laughs> you know? um, I, in these things, and this has been my thinking from college days when, you know, this, you know, everybody likes to throw out their theological plumes like a peacock to impress and talk about and throw out these big labels, election and predestination and Calvinism and tulip and yes, a person can lose their salvation. No, a person can't. And, and so you get into these, these sparring contests theologically. You know, there's good people on both sides of this. But for me, my simple reasoning even back then was this. Can you lose your salvation? I don't think so. Well, for me, I know so. Why? Because it's a blood relationship. I have a relationship with my Heavenly Father born through blood, and it's through the blood of Yeshua. You know, I'm born again through His blood. It's, it's not because of my blood in my veins. It's because of His shed blood on my behalf, and I've been adopted into uh, His family, and, and God became my Heavenly Father. It's, it's, it's a birth. It's a new birth. You can't get unborn. <laughs> you know, sometimes maybe you wish you could, uh, but you can't. It's a blood relationship. So I've always said it this way. I am the father of my children, and my children are alive and living because of an actual birth. And like it or not, I am always their father, and like it or not, they are always my children. It's an actual birth that took place. And it's, the new birth is as valid and as living and as active as that. We, through the new birth, if you're saved, been made a new creation in Messiah. We have been born from above, not of, of blood, but of his, of his spirit. Not human blood, but of his spirit working in our hearts. And the seal of this new relationship is the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ when he died on our behalf. On, 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 the, uh, on, on the cross. And so you can't, in my opinion, lose your salvation. My heavenly, I am the child of my heavenly father through the new birth. That cannot be undone. Now, he might want to get rid of me sometimes, and I might wish, gosh, I wish I could sneak around the corner and God not see me. But, you know, and even though there's, there's moments of disharmony, meaning, uh, I'm sure God is mad at me, and, and, and I'm kind of not wanting to be so obedient today, God. You know, there's that natural parental child struggle that goes on between all of us with our Heavenly Father. It doesn't change the relationship. I don't get it. You know, I used to argue, it tells us in Ephesians that we're seated already in the heavenlies. We're seated in the heavenly places. And I say to these people, I say, so, oh, are you on? Are you on the throne today or off? Have you been, are you seated today or are you not seated today? This to me is just crazy. I don't see how it fits. So all that to say, it took me a long time to be able to enjoy this chapter because always it was like this theological battle going through my mind. And it's like, no, for me, it's settled. You're saved, you're saved. If you're not saved, you need to be saved. If you are saved, yeah, you can do horrible things. We sang that song this morning about David and Bathsheba. You know, he didn't, 
um, his relationship with his heavenly father was intact. It was, it was the fellowship, the closeness that was there. And he was sensing that distancing. And I think in part that's why I said, don't take your Holy Spirit from me. It's not that he would lose the Holy Spirit, but that, that's, that connection of a relationship based upon the holiness of God has been infraction. It's been, it's been fractured. And he's feeling dirty. And, and he wants the cleansing of the Spirit of God. On top of that, you know, there's always this theological wrangling. Did they have the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament or not? Well, it sounded like he did, you know. So, so anyway, that's a little bit of pre-discussion. Now, what I want to do is just kind of go through this and, and mention, I don't know, we'll see where we go, how we go through this. I'm not necessarily following my outline, but I wanted to give it to you. Oh, just a few other interesting facts, or factoids, I guess. Uh, this progression of fruit, it says in verse 2, uh, And every branch that beareth fruit, he purges that it uh, might bring forth more fruit. And then you get down to verse 5, much fruit. And there seems to be a progression from fruit to more fruit to much fruit. You know, I don't know if that's purposeful or not. It, just, it seems so to me just seems to be uh, a, an indication of progression in our walk and development with the Lord. You get saved, there's fruit, there's more fruit, much fruit, you know, God, and you sense that from when you're, you know, she, she's a little kid walking on the ground, pretty soon she'll be running down, up and down the aisles to pretty soon she can go out jogging on the street. You know, it's the same progression in our Christian existence. You get saved and yeah, you, you bear fruit, but then you start to bear more fruit as you grow in, in your relationship with God to where then pretty much, you, you know, the, 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 the fruit of the Spirit is, is bearing forth real major evidence in our, in our lives. So there's that. Um, interesting to me, and I don't know if I ever count these things correctly, but it does say the word abide in our chapter nine times, and then it says continue once. Um, so I think that's interesting. There, there's, this, this, there's this direct evidence on this close relationship. So much so it's repeated. Abide, abide in me, abide in me. If you if, abide in me and I'll abide in you. Abide, 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 and continue. You know, and to me, I, I said just a beautiful picture of what the relationship with, with us and, and our Savior is supposed to be. There's this connection, and that's in part why he talks about the vine. I'm the vine, you're the branches. There's, there's this connection that takes place. And, and that's so the, the underlying beauty of this whole thing. Yes, it talks about branches getting severed from it and cut off, but I, I think I can give you some insight into that. But I don't want us to lose sight of the fact that it's talking about a relationship of intimacy. You know, every time I read this, I think of the tomato plants on my uh, aunt's farm, you know, and, and how they're, and I don't know if this is a right analogy, but that's why I see all these branches growing off of it, or, or maybe it's, it's, it's uh, uh, a vine on the ground, like the, the strawberries or something. You know, just all these things interconnected. It, it, it's all together one plant and each stem is producing the tomatoes it's supposed to be producing, but it's, it's one. But there's multiple things going on, but it's still one. That's kind of how I view this. And so I want to be a tomato plant for my Savior. How else do I know it? I want to be that tomato plant right there that each one of my things, boughs or whatever you call these things, has some fruit producing off of it. That's what it's talking about here. We ha if we have an intimate relationship with our Savior, 
the fruit that is himself will produce itself in us. We're not producing our own fruit. He, he wants to produce his fruit through us. And he uses us, obviously. You know, we're all different, but he does it anyway. I mean, it's cool. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm always trying to change myself into something I think I should be or what I think people want me to be. I'm trying to get over that. It's a real struggle for me. But I'm finally realizing that, you know what, I am what I am. And, and but as Paul said, I am what I am by the grace of God. You know, it's, it's, it's who I am that God saved and chooses to use. It doesn't mean it's an excuse for anything, but I'm going to be flailing my hands when I preach, probably till the day I die, and I'll get loud when I talk, and blah, and I'll spew everything. I mean, there's certain things that are about me that just aren't going to change. And, 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 I, and, I, and God knows that. He doesn't want cookie-cutter people. He saved us as individuals to make us more like him, but he still uses our individuality, and that's what's cool. It really is. Um, so anyway, I got lost in my thoughts there for a minute. Um, all right, so that was what? Abide. Then there's a bunch of ifs. Uh, ifs. Verse 6, 7, 10, 14, 18, 19, 20, 28, 24. I, I love it when I see ifs. I, I just, you know, you do with that what you want. But, I mean, there's just ifs all over the place here. You know, verse, verse 6, if a man abide in me. Verse 7, if ye abide in me, and it goes on and on and on. Things like that I just find fascinating, and they're, they're just all through here. There's this element of, of condition, uh, potential. I, I don't know what you want to attach to the word if, but I love that if. There's an if to it. It gives me the opportunity to feel like I'm a part of this thing, you know? It, it, it's not always parenting like I do. You will obey me, kid. You know, I didn't give my kids much latitude. You know what? If you want to, go ahead. You know, but we kind of have that here. If you abide in me, this is what's going to happen. I mean, you, you need to, you ought to, you should, you better. If you don't, this is what's going to happen. But I love how it's couched in this, this, this terminology of, of if. All right, now, enough of that. So, verse 1, I am the true vine and my father is the husbandman. You know, I've done a lot of reading on this. What, what's it talking about, the vine, the true vine? What's the implication, ramification, explanation? How do you uh, uh, expound upon it? This is, these are my thoughts. Do with it as you want. But he said, you know, there's, there's no extra words here. And there's none that are needed to be added to it. He, he said exactly what he wanted to say. I am the true vine. Well, to me, I guess true vine is opposed to false vines. I mean, I don't know what else to, to think about that. You know, he, he's basically saying, I'm, I'm it. I'm, I'm the vine. I am the true vine. The other vines, don't worry about those. He could also be saying that he's the only vine the Father cares for. Um... There's a whole lot of other vines you could maybe get your fruit from, but I am the true vine, and I'm the one that my father cares for. And since it, my father is the one caring for my vine, this must be very important. That's probably not a good way to say it all. but So I think it's as opposed to a false vine. He is the true vine, and he's the one that the father cares for. 
Also, I think it could be referring to, Israel's referred to at times uh, in, in the Tanakh as, as, as a vine. It's interesting, if you read, as I did this week, Christian commentators, they invariably do that Christian thing, which I'm sad it happens. I've done it. It's a natural way of thinking, but it's always, and it may be true, but they seem to highlight the fact that whenever Israel in the Old Testament, almost all the time in the Old Testament, when Israel is referred to as a vine, it's a degenerate vine. That's the word they use. It's Israel, the degenerate vine. So it's always cast in, in the, when it talks to Israel about Israel, it's in a bad sense like that. I, you know, I think it's an overemphasis. Yeah, they were bad, but anybody here not act degenerate at times? <laughs> you, know, you know, so I think it's overemphasizing. But I think here the true vine, it's referring to Israel. I think it's messianic in nature. This is me. I could have read this somewhere, but... I think in essence he's saying, I am the true Israel. I am the true Israel. Um, that's why Isaiah 53, uh, Jewish people don't, they, they want to turn the suffering servant into Israel in Isaiah 53. They, they don't want it to be messianic. They did before the Christian era and, and, and Christianity started to spread because you can read old uh, uh, Jewish scholars and they did say that Isaiah 53 talked about the coming Messiah, but since Christianity has co-opted Isaiah 53 and it's all about Messiah Yeshua, then it started to be no Isaiah 53 isn't about Messiah, it's really about uh, Israel. It's talking about Israel. All right, you want to go down there, you get to John 15, Yeshua saying, no, I am the true Israel. I'm the true Israel, and he is. I don't, I, can you help me with that? I don't know how to explain that anymore. That's, that's all, I, I, you know, maybe this one, I said, honey, just say what you had to say and say. We can figure out the rest as you go along. You don't have to explain everything. But I always feel like I need to explain what I just said. I don't even know how to explain it. But anyway, I think he's the true Israel. All right, and then number three under this. So he's a, he's a true vine as opposed to a false vine. He's a, the, the vine that the Father cares for. He's the true Israel, has messianic overtones to it. Uh, and then the true vine could be referring to what, what I think we would say is the true Israel. The true Israel is the remnant, spiritually speaking, versus the physical Israel. And there, there are two realms, and I don't know how to to explain any of this. I, I get confused in my, that's probably the wrong word, but I, I, I don't know how, how does God de look at and deal with Israel? When we think of Israel, you know, is it the, just the remnant or is it that st state over there of people living there in that land? Is, is that how God views, views Israel when it talks about Israel? Um, uh, you know, it's, it's, or... <coughs> Is it the Jewish people? Oh, somebody, show me a real Jew. I mean, a, a, a full-out blood Jew. There is none. So if you're going to say Israel is made up of Jews, well then, all you've done is, is throw more mud in the water by saying that, because show me a true Jew. I mean... I hope this doesn't sound heretical, and correct me, Luke, if I'm, I'm... Even Yeshua wasn't a pure Jew. 
was not a pure Jew, as, as we technically start thinking about when people, you automatically in your head, oh, that person's a Jew. And we just go with that. Well, what does that mean? How do we know that that Pope is a Jew? Jewish? How do you? How do I explain to me how you know you're a Jew? They don't know. Oh, my father, my name. I'm Rosenthal. Last name Rosenthal. Last name Cohen. Oh, so big deal. Am I going to skew on this? It frustrates me. There is only the Israel of God. And the Israel of God has always been the remnant, those that are his by means from Genesis to Revelation of that spiritual birth that takes place when a person comes by faith, either receives the Messiah that was to come or receives the Messiah that has come. It's only just in him. And that's what he's saying. It's not whether you follow that vine, that vine, that vine. Oh, you're, 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 oh, you're an Ashkenazi vine. You are a, a Nehemiah Gordon vine. They're all immaterial. They're not vines. It's Yeshua. It always has been. And that's what he's trying to get us to see. It's all about him. All right, now, verse 2. Uh, Every branch in me, this is where it starts to get a little sticky. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. So every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he takes away. There it is. You can lose your salvation. <clears throat> no. Now, interesting, and I, and, and I never saw this until just this last time going through all this and reading this. An interesting fact, I think, is that at this point, Judas is not here. He's not hearing these words, because I think it's 1331. Judas is gone. Now, I think that's important to consider when trying to understand this passage about the abiding, about the being cut off, about those that will be purged, in, in, meaning in the right sense, pruned, so that they'll produce more. Judas is not here. And I, I, I have to wonder if there, because we're so far removed from even being in the setting right here, that we're not, you know, I'm in chapter 15 now. I already forgot what chapter 13, verse 31 was even talking about. That's so many chapters back there. And I, you know, by the time I get from 13 to 15, it's, it's over a week. <laughs> you know, and I can't remember what was back there. But Judas is not there. All right, so that being the case, when it says, Now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. I think this is interesting. First off, I think every branch of me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. Judas is, is the picture of what is being talked about there. Because you struggle with the in me part. Well, Judas has been, for sake of analogy, in Yeshua with that group during the years they've been together. But he's not now. So this Judas who was in the group has been cut off from the group. He's been severed. Whatever you do, do quickly. And he takes off. 
Well, I don't know. I'm, I'm thinking if I was there now, I'd be thinking, whew, wait a minute now. Judas is not here. Hmm, where does he fit into this? Or does he? Does he? Then it says, after that, in every branch that beareth fruit, he purges it. To me, I, I, immediately, this was just me, immediately I thought of Peter. Now, Peter did some stupid bad things, but he doesn't get cut off. He gets taken to the woodshed and gets pruned a little bit. Snip, 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 snip. And, and, and it, to, to, to try to make it simple, I think that's what it's talking about here. Judas was never there anyway. He, he was a pseudo, I don't know if I wrote this, but he, he was like a false believer. You know, he, he was there, nobody knew except Yeshua. Everybody else, all the, the other 11 thought Judas was a real thing. They had no clue. They, we, we had no indication that anybody picked up on, hey, Yeshua, I'm not really sure about this Judas guy over here. You know, we don't hear that going on. As far as everybody thought, who looked on that from within that group and from without, Judas was one of the gang. Not anymore. He was never in me. He's gone. The living demonstration. You know, Peter, the guy that's always putting his foot in his mouth saying stupid things and, hey, let you know, before the cock crows, you're going to really screw up, Peter, but I'm coming after you, so come on back, feed my sheep. Well, that's, that's the other half of it. So it's nothing to be, like, I was frightened about this. It's like, if we can just put it back where it is in that time and in that context, it was pretty simple. You know, we had to go through and cut off dead. You've done it if you have apple trees, you go through, you prune it. Any tree, you go prune it. Tomato, even the tomato plants, you have to go through and, and cut off the, the unproductive stuff. It's just life. You know, we get hung up in trying to be exacting in the analogy. Well, not all these analogies are supposed to be exacting. They're talking principle. So I think that's, you know, that's vital to understand all this. And... Um, uh, boy, I might not have had the note. Oh, wait a minute. Uh, where was that? Talks about all of you clean, but not being all clean. Did I forget to write all that down? Oh, hold on. Oh, I can't find it. But he says, previous to this, you're all clean, but not all of you. Oh, yeah, okay, so um, John 13, 10. Jesus saith to him, he that is washed needeth not save to wash his feet, but is clean every whit. And ye are clean, but not all of you. So that's, that's 13, where was that? 13, 10, and it says the same thing. In verse 18, and I speak not of you all. I know whom I have chosen, but, he, but that the scripture may be fulfilled. Uh, he that eateth bread with me hath lifted his hands up against me. And then you have 15.3. There it is, 15.3. Now are ye clean through the word I have spoken unto you. But they're not all clean. And Yeshua's already made that clear. There's one that's not clean. Now are ye clean, but not all. And verse 18 
is in 13, chapter 13 says, and I'm giving you a little bit of a heads up. There's going to be some scripture that's being fulfilled here. And then it gets fulfilled. And, and then, he, then he says, because Judas is gone, now you're clean. And I think they're clean. It's talking about a personal individual cleanliness. But now they are clean as a group. Judas has been removed. All right, I hope that was helpful to you. All right, now. Um, so you get into verses 4 through 11, and, and I don't want to really belabor this, but I do want you to notice just this theme of abiding. You know, abide in me and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit of itself except it abide in the vine, no more can ye except ye abide in me. So what I want you to do is, is and there's been books written about this, I've read books about abiding. But for you, what does it mean to abide? See, for me, Judy and I, because we just had this discussion, she's the type where she, and, and this is fine, a lot of people are this way, I'm not. I know the fact, the fact is good enough for me. I'm the emotional guy. It's great to know the fact, but I have to feel it. You know, it has to, I have to feel it. It has to impact me in here. If I just have it up here, that's not good for me. I'm more, I need it down here, some people are here. So I don't know how you, you personally, when it talks about when Yeshua is basically personally calling you out and saying, I want you to today be abiding in me. Tomorrow, abide in me. Thursday next week, abide in me. What does that mean? I don't know that I have words, but we, he's drawing our attention to this very vital fact that he wants, I think, a closer relationship than we want, that we're aware we can have, and probably will never happen to the degree that Yeshua wants it. But he keeps calling us to this. I don't know how to abide. If, if, if I live two streets down in another house, though I'm married to Judy, I'm not abiding with her. For us to abide, we have to be there, together. We have to be in proximity. We, we have to be close. We have to communicate. We have to talk. That's all about abiding. Abiding is not this big, you have to write books on it, although I'm glad they're out there. It's as simple as, what does it mean if you abide with somebody? You spend time with them. You go out of your way to be there. You figure out how to talk to that person. You want that person to talk to you. Right? You abide by having a prayer life. You talk to God. You communicate with Him, though you can't see Him. And then He talks to you. And I'm saying through His Word. That's how you abide. That's the communication. If it's only one side communicating, there's not abiding going on. And, and I'm wanting to press on us that just like for any relationship, a marriage to work, it takes commitment, it takes time, it takes uh, being close to one another in sharing with one another. That's exactly what Yeshua wants from us, except we can't feel it, really. We can't touch Yeshua. We can't really talk to him. That's where the Holy Spirit comes in. 
the, whole, the Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. It's one of the verses that really touched me, that helped me to know, yeah, I'm saved. Because something's going on inside here that wasn't going on before. And there's this yearning that I never had before. And I'm drawn to this individual in this book like never before. There, there was a beginning of a relationship that was developing. It's like the early stages of dating. You get engaged, you get married. Then you have kids and then it's all downhill. The honeymoon's over, you know. The real aspect of it comes into play. That's where we are. You see, everyday drudgery now of living out your life for Yeshua and the joy, because I, I want my joy to be in you and your joy should be full. But I'm saying the reality is, it's not that, it's not that oh, honey, you're so wonderful, and, and, and that... You know, when, when you first start, I don't know if you should date or not, but when you're first dating, you know, you're driving in a car when you could do that, you know, she sat right next to you, right? I mean, or if you're walking down the street, you're always holding hands. Or, you know, it's that sort of thing. After you've been married for a while, I can remember Judy and I, we used to sit together at the table right next to each other. And we've been married for, it's still early on. It's like, she just had to sit right next to me in the car and at the table. And I was like, <laughs> And after a while, it's like, we've been married for a while. Why do we have to sit next to each other? At the table, so close all the time. <clears throat> you know, I, it was very hurtful to her. She didn't understand that. But do you get what I'm saying? All right, so now we've been married 40, almost 41 years, right? It's a different relationship. But in ways, it's closer than it's ever been. And that's how it is with Yeshua. You go through the ups and downs. You go through the ins and outs. You're close to him. You're not. You've sinned. He has to purge you, cleanse you. You know, you, you, you've had your highs. You've had your lows. He's never been sweeter. It's like, where are you? But as you're growing through those years of bearing fruit and his fruit being born in you, yeah, it's not the warm, fuzzy, like when we came into the Hebrew Roots Messianic movement. It was just so warm and fuzzy. It, it was, right? It was just so warm and fuzzy. It's not fuzzy anymore. It's not even warm. Reality is set in. That's the relationship with Yeshua. That's the abide. Okay, did I beat that horse to death enough? But so anyway, 4 through 11. Uh, I, so, so it goes through that. Then, so, but I think it's interesting the way I broke it up. So you have cleansing, abiding, loving. So then you have love, verses 12 through 17. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. And then he talks about the necessity of, I think, personally, he's, he's stepping up this, this idea of, guys, listen, I know you don't get this yet, I'm not going to be here much longer. I'm the glue holding things together. You guys are going to have to come closer together as a knit group than you ever have. And I'm telling you that you guys need to love one another. None of this bickering anymore of who's going to be great, who gets to sit on your right hand, you know, who's going to have everybody else wash their feet and I don't have to wash feet. None of this stupid childness that you guys have been doing. I'm holding it together, but I'm going to be gone the one thing that's going to keep you guys together is you're going to have to love one another just like I have been loving you. He's not coming along and giving a new command. 
And it's interesting, if you read enough Christian commentators, they, they acknowledge that. They say it's, it's not, he, it's one guy, one Christian commentator said, it's not like there wasn't love before. And it's not like Jesus is saying, hey, I'm giving you a new command to love. You do find some honest commentators that'll say, no, what it's talking about is, you guys are going to have to love one another now like you've never loved one another before. You're going to have to depend on one another like you never have before. So he talks about this idea of love and loving and loving one another. And that's what's supposed to happen in any fellowship. And that's why Satan works so hard to bust up fellowships. We need each other. We can't stand alone. We have to somehow learn to love one another even though we're not all lovely and easy to love. And you don't even want to love. <laughs> Judy doesn't always feel like loving me. It's just too bad. We're in a contract. Sorry. <laughs> all right, now he gets on to hating. And I, and I thought this is interesting. I'm concerned that we're not hated enough. I am. Be, you should have said, beware when all men speak well of you. I'm not saying go out and get people mad at us. But it seems like you should have saying, I've only come to love these people. I'm coming to give my life for them. I want them to have a better relationship with the Father, but every, it seems like everything I do, they hate me. It's, it's that sort of what I'm talking about when I say, I'm concerned we're not hated enough. It's, it's a natural byproduct of being what we're supposed to be in Yeshua. Now, I work real hard at wanting everybody to like me. And it's been to the detriment of a, a good, strong witness. Because if you shut your mouth rather than open it, if you do X, Y, and Z or don't do X, Y, and Z, it's all going to bring about reactions. Nobody wants to be, raise your hand if you want to be disliked by everybody. Nobody wants that. I mean, crying out loud, we have to work with these people every day. We have these family members that we're stuck with one another. But the truth is, he talks about this thing of hating, of being hated. It's so, I think, Verse, so important. So he ends the, the love section at 17, and he jumps right into hate. If the world hate you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world will love his own. So I, I look at that and say, gosh, is the world loving me because I look too much like, it's, like it? Am I sounding too much like it? If ye were of the world, the world would Love its own, but because ye are not of the world, but I've chosen out of the world, I'm telling you, therefore, the world should hate you, is what Yeshua is saying. Remember the word that I said unto you, the servant's not greater than his Lord. If they've persecuted me, guess what, guys? They're going to persecute you. If they've kept my saying, then they're going to keep yours. But all these things they're going to do to you for me. They're, they're, they're those that do the hating, and it's going to confuse the heck out of us. But... Oh, they're going to do all these things and they're going to come to you in the name of Jesus, I hate you. In the name of Jesus, what you're doing is wrong. When we're trying to think, wait, I thought I loved Jesus, I thought he loved me and I'm trying to do what is right. And why do they do it? But all these things they'll do unto you for my name's sake because they know not him that sent me. So let's think about hating. 
is, I think, pretty powerful. So verse 19, if you're of the world, the world will love its own, but because you're not of the world, but I've chosen you, out of the world, therefore the world hates you. I thought Barnes had a, a really good, Albert Barnes had a, a good brief note on this, and he broke it up. If you were of the world, he says, he's explaining this, basically what they're saying. If you were actuated by the principles of the world, if, like them, you were vain, earthly, sensual, given to pleasure, wealth, ambition, they would not oppose you. That's what it's, I, I just love that, because I, I don't know how to put things together like that. So if you were of the world, if you, were, if you lived by the world's principles and then it produced in you what it's producing in them, things like vanity and you were earthly, sensual, given to pleasure, you, you, you lived your life for wealth and ambition, hey, they'd be welcoming us in. And that's what happens with Christians. We get welcomed in too much because we want what they want. The same ambition that's driving the world is the same ambition that's driving us as Christians. It's one of the reasons I have such a hard time living out in Arizona, in the Scottsdale area, amongst Christians, because you, the Christians seem like they're working so hard to keep up with the world. And so you, everybody has the best of everything, the best cars, Christians. You know, I was embarrassed to go to church in the car that we drove. Because there's a million dollars sitting around me, and my car is worth about 500 bucks. Well, I, we've lost something because we're just the average guy anymore. All right, then he says, because you're not of the world. Because you are influenced by different principles from men of the world. You are actuated by the love of God and holiness. They by the love of sin. Then I have chosen you out of the world. I have, by choosing you to be my followers, separated you from their society and placed you under the government of my holy laws. Now with him, that means eat pork and you're good and have Christmas and celebrate everything else. But if you just take that out, and if I told you this was a Hebraic guy writing this, then get it from that perspective. If, if I've chosen you, out of the world, chosen you out of the world, I have by chosen you to be my followers, separated you from their society and, and placed you under the government of my holy Torah. All of it! That's what he wants from us. Therefore, he says, a Christian may esteem it as one evidence of his piety that he is hated by wicked men. Often most decided evidence, uh, this is interesting, often most decided, decided evidence is given that a man is a friend of God by the opposition excited against him by, by the profane, by Sabbath breakers, and by the dissolute. Let me say that again. So basically he's saying all these people, these bad people, if they're opposing you, that lets you know that, okay, hey, you're on the right track. But I thought it's interesting because they talk about Sabbath breakers. Now, that was still back in the day when the church said Sunday is a Sabbath and lived it like a Sabbath. Not that I'm okay with that, but I could live with that. Not, you understand what I'm saying? And I've had this argument with our family members who are still Christian. At least treat it like we used to, like a Sabbath. And it was. It was treated like a Sabbath by the church. You didn't go out to eat. You didn't go out to buy anything. You went home and you basically did nothing. Now it's like out at church. We got a reservation at the restaurant. We're there. We chow down, pig out, and then, then we're going to a ball game afterwards, 
And, and yeah, we're going to stop along the way and pick up some stuff at the grocery store we forgot to get. Oh, my, my car needs gas. You know, in, in our country back in my day, you kept the Sunday Sabbath whether you liked it or not because nothing was open. and You couldn't go anywhere and there was nothing to do. Our country lived Sunday like a Sabbath because that's what the preachers were preaching. Now, we're bad people because we want to keep the Sabbath on the Sabbath. That's how far we've gone. I've told my family members, okay, great, let's not argue Saturday, Sunday. Just keep Sunday like the old guys used to do. Your people, you know, your people. Moody and, and people like that. Who? Moody? You don't know who Moody was? That's the problem. We don't even know who our forefathers were that kept the Sabbath Sunday like a Sabbath. Now, I really, that was a big rant. But therefore, a Christian may esteem it as one evidence of his piety that he's hated by wicked men. Often, the most decided evidence is given that a man is a friend of God by the opposition excited against him by the profane, by Sabbath breakers, and by the dissolute. I just thought that, I just thought that whole verse was a great verse. And if you put it into our Messianic Hebraic Torah-minded world, it's a great note. I, I looked it up. Dissolute, honey, help me with this. Um, I did look it up. I was going to write it down. I can't remember. But it's in the verse, if you click the verse, of dissolute. This is a negative, so it's, it's not a loot, it's dissolute. <laughs> if somebody look up on your phone real quick, would you dissolute? All right, so, so it goes from cleansing, abiding, loving, hating, and then Yeshua does like he always does. He ends it with its upbeat, comforting. He talks about this comforting that's going to take place. Uh, 26, but when the comforters come, whom I will send unto you, oh, thanks, dissolute, uh, lax in morals, licentious, a dissolute drunken, disreputable rogue, synonyms, dissipated, debauched, decadent, intemperate, prolific, and you get it. So just kind of a bad guy, no morals, losing his morals. So then you get, thank you, Coy. So when the comforters come, whom I will send unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth, which proceeds from the Father, he shall testify of me, and ye also shall bear witness, because ye have been with me from the beginning. Oh, look, Yeshua is sending for the first time the Holy Spirit. No, we've been through this. They've had the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit basically, for sake of discussion, resided in the land, because that's where God's people resided. They're not going to reside in the land anymore. And now the ante is going to be upped. They're going to need a powerhouse now. You know, I could live victorious for God on the enclosed Christian school campus, college that I went to, enclosed all the way around by a gate. Every move controlled. I was right with God every moment of the day. It's a different story outside the gate. That's why I still get mad at those professors and everything and those teachers and those people that live in that hotbed society about how self-righteous they are. And well, you do that, you do that, you do that. Well, we behind our gates don't do that. Now I want to say, yeah, get your butt outside the gate and let's see how well you do. It's a struggle out there. And I'm telling you, this is not right. 
I didn't need much Holy Spirit to be right with God in the confines of that campus. I need a whole lot more of the Holy Spirit outside. You get my drift of what I'm saying? That's all this is talking about. Guys, right now, it's, it's cool. It's, it's great. We're together. Everything's safe. Yes, we're under oppression. We're in the diaspora, and, and Rome's ruling us, and blah, 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 blah. But, you know, we got it pretty good right now. But I'm telling you, about 30, 40 years from now, your world is going to be turned upside down, and you're not going to know what's hit you unless you've already started to develop this deeper relationship with me of abiding and understanding how much you really need the Holy Spirit. You're just going to fall all over the place once the real persecution comes. And it did happen that way, and they did some fall because they didn't have strength. I would much rather live outside the gate of that campus, tripping all over my place and getting mud covered everywhere, because one day when the poop does hit the fan, it's not going to bother me. I'm already covered with the poop. Let's go. Right? I'm ready for battle. You can't mess me up anymore. I'm plunging in. You want to do war? We'll do war. These guys back here in a three-piece suit, you know, the perfect, beautiful dress. I don't want to get dirty. I've never been dirty. I'm not that dirty person. You know, you get where I'm going. I'm not saying go get dirty. I'm not saying go sin and have a blast. It's going to make you fit for battle. You understand? i got to clarify that. But this is it's the real world. It's the real world. And I need to be comforted while I'm tripping and falling all over myself. And so he's saying, you know what? I'm going to be gone, but I'm going to be with you. I'm in you. I'm with you. I'm going to be in you, and we're going to be together. And we can have, though not seen, you can't touch me, you can't feel me, you can't hear me. We can still have a relationship. And that's really what the chapter is about, having a relationship and walking through it, fleshing it out. Everything is there that we need to have a close relationship with our Savior. If it's not happening in your life, it's because you're not working at it. Every relationship you have to work at. Judy does not have to work on her end because I'm pretty much perfect, but I really have to work on her end for this relationship to work. Well, God's end of the relationship is perfect, so therefore, it's my end. He's given me everything I need, the Holy Spirit, the absolute authority to come boldly to the throne of grace through Yeshua. The Holy Spirit's going to filter out my crappy prayers. Yeshua's going to filter it all out. So when it gets to the Father, it's what it should have been. I have his word. I have no excuse for not having a close relationship. And I want it, but I have to work at it. And you're going to have to commune and communicate. So, I'll close with this. I told you this before, because I'm so bad and need it. I have verses that I pray every morning that I've gathered along through the many, many years now, probably 30 years. Some going back 30 years, some recent. About a half a dozen or so, I pray every morning. They're out of the Psalms, specific for me. I communicate to God every morning. I hit that reset button. The first, search me, O God, and know my heart. And I go from there. 
And God just probed me, work in me, come on, God. And all these verses, you have to talk to God somehow every day. If you don't talk, if I don't talk to Judy every day, we're going to grow distant. It's just, it's just how it is. And then you have to hear some communication from him. You don't want to live in a vacuum where two people are in the house and you don't talk. So we have all of it. And as you put it together, there's fruit, more fruit, much fruit. A little like Yeshua, more like Yeshua, a lot like Yeshua. We're being conformed to his image. And it has to be through this thing of abiding. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. Pull it together. Bring out one or two things that each person can make application. Drive something home in our hearts. Help us to review this in our minds. What kind of relationship, fellowship, communion, abiding do we actually have? Am I actually our... Am I actually a part of mine? Have I ever been born again, saved? Is he truly my father? Am Am I truly his son? Has there been this birth? And then if that's settled, all right, help us, Father, to abide, to get close, to get to know you, to be so close that to look at us would be to see you sort of thing. Yeshua said, you've seen me, you've seen my Father. I think that's what it's supposed to be. You see me, you see my Father. So work in us, in Yeshua's name, amen. Hey, mighty warriors arise, yeah. Face on the mount of your grace.